from MPB Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we have a very special guest with us today, former Governor Ronnie Musgrove, also founding partner of the Musgrove Smith Law Firm in Jackson. Mr. Musgrove was very passionate about education during his tenure as governor and lieutenant governor. So we'll talk today about various issues within education law. We'll talk about the history of and latest updates about the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, also known as MAEP. How is this funding formula determined? Is it outdated? We'll also talk about charter schools. Is it likely they'll be expanded in Mississippi? Does charter school funding affect other public schools funding? Call us at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we have a very special guest with us today, former Governor Ronnie Musgrove, also founding partner of the Musgrove Smith Law Firm in Jackson. Mr. Musgrove was very passionate about education during his tenure as governor and lieutenant governor. So today we'll talk about various issues within education law. We'll talk about the history and latest updates of the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, also known as MAEP. And we'll also talk about charter schools. Is it likely they'll be expanded in Mississippi? Does charter school funding affect uh, other public schools funding? Call us at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions about education law issues. That's 877-672-7464 or send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Well, uh, Professor Gershon, for once we have a guest in studio with me this time, so I am not alone today. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You, you, I, it is an honor to have Governor Musgrove on the show today, and I wish I could be there with both of you. Absolutely. Well, uh, Governor Musgrove, thank you for being in today. We really appreciate it. Sharita, uh, thank you very much for having me. And Professor Gershon, thank you very much for extending the invitation. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your time as governor and maybe some things that you were most proud of? <laughs> There are a number of things that I'm actually very proud of. One of them extends back to when I chaired the Education Committee in the State Senate. Uh, My mother and father did not graduate from high school, but always told me how important an education was. And the more education I could get, the better it would help me. And they proved to be correct. Uh, I remember all of the hot days of being in class when uh, I went to school, just like everyone else in Mississippi did. Uh, one of the things that we did uh, when I was in the uh, state Senate is that we m- made all schools put air conditioners in the classroom. Mm. So before that time, none of our schools basically had air conditioning in schools. And you could ask a lot of the teachers and students who went to school in May in June or in August and September, and they can tell you how hot it it was. So those things like that that we take for granted now were some of the things that we were able to do. We we also raised the accountability level in Mississippi from 50th to being in the top 10 in the nation, according to the Princeton Review. Uh, We gave the largest teacher pay raise in the history of our state. 
uh, we brought Nissan to Mississippi. But to me, still the most important, significant piece of legislation that we were able to pass was the passage of the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. The reason that that funding formula is so important is that out of all the school districts, there is a disproportionate uh, amount of wealth or tax ad valorem base in different communities. For instance, if you're in Tupelo versus if you're in Sugarlock, there's a lot of difference in what the value of the property would be. Mm -hmm. And so each mill or each levy that you uh, impose on Tupelo will bring you about a hundred times the amount of one levy in Sugarlock. Mm. So what was happening was is that students in Tupelo, uh, DeSoto County, Madison, and other places where you have property wealthy school districts, they were offering 140 or 150 courses for students in high school. In the property poor districts, they could only offer 75 or 80 courses. So the difference is, let's just say that Sugarlock had an outstanding school. Tupelo had an outstanding school. The students were actually exposed to twice as many courses and classes as the good students in Sugarlock. That, that's unequal in and of itself. It, who, that's not getting a quality education. So what the Mississippi Adequate Education Formula does is it grants additional funds to those property-poor districts so they can offer the same kinds of things in courses. In other words, advanced algebra, advanced math, advanced English, all of those extra courses. So if you're going to go to college, then you will be prepared to do so. So so this formula passed in 1997, if I'm not mistaken. That, that is correct. And how often has it been updated? Uh, what are the requirements for it to be updated? The, the legislature can update it every year that it wants to. And in fact, it has been updated a number of times. Now, nothing significant or major, but in 20, 2006, there was a fair uh, updating of it. Then there have been some others. Uh, but what it does is... It, it provides for the funding that the legislature describes is a necessary uh, school district uh, requirement that you should meet. For instance, the statutes by the legislature sets out for every school district in the state, you must meet certain academic requirements. You must offer certain things and you must do it in a certain way. If you don't meet at least a grade C as a school, then there are certain penalties that the state can provide. Uh, for instance, like putting you on academic probation, uh, maybe even taking you over. Now, what does that mean? Because I've heard about that, this, the state may be taking over particular school districts, mm -hmm. which sounds really scary. Uh, but in some cases, it, it may be beneficial. But the word takeover, what does that mean? Well, it just just the way it sounds. It's it's not a uh, uh, tricky word. It, it's just as it means. If the governor says that there is a an emergency in a school district, that the state board must take over, then the state board takes action. But only once the governor says that. So there are two or three fail-safes to make sure that there's not an overreach by the state. Generally, there, there are two reasons why a school district would be taken over. One is because of financial mismanagement. The other is because of academic uh, uh, failure to perform. 
Mm-hmm. And so if the students and only perform at a certain level for so many years, then the state can can take action and take over. And so, is this a temporary takeover? It's generally a temporary takeover. That's the whole objective. You you want it to be as short as possible, to get the school district back on the right track, get good leadership there, get great teachers in the classroom, and make sure the students are learning. That is exactly what you want to have happen in every class in the state of Mississippi. Now, you mentioned uh, a while back that while you were in office uh, with the School Accountability um, Act, you went, the Mississippi went from 50 to the 20s. To the top 10. Top 10, okay. And a lot of uh, cases we hear that Mississippi is last in education when it comes to rankings and things like that. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about what determines a school's ranking? Um, I saw one study that found in terms of school system quality and school system safety, Mississippi ranked 46. So what makes uh, a school of high quality or lower quality? Uh, unfortunately, the rankings over the last several years, 10 years or more, put Mississippi uh, almost at the bottom mm-hmm. at, at last. Uh, it makes it very hard to attract business and industry uh, when, when you have an, a low-performing educational system. Uh, the legislature sets out what is required for each school district. The State Department of Education sets out the course requirements that you have to uh, uh, deliver. Then the legislature calculates how much it would cost to deliver the kind of education that it requires. And that is the MAEP funding formula. In other words, they say, school districts, you have to do X. And to do X, we go through a complicated system to determine how much money it takes or is required to do X. And that is the MAEP funding formula. So so if you're not funded at the full funding formula, then already you're short trying to provide the kind of education that the legislature requires. And so that that's why it is really important. And then the accountability measures say you've got to perform at a certain standard. You've got to offer so many courses, and you've got to offer it in so many ways, and you want to know the best single thing that makes a difference between a medium education, a good education, and a great education is a teacher in a classroom. A good teacher in a classroom, and that has not changed for 100 years. We know that good teachers in the classroom produces good educational opportunities. But if you have teachers leaving and going into other professions because we don't pay enough, if you've got school systems that do not have good uh, facilities to use, if you've got systems where you don't have good leadership and you don't have good discipline in the classroom and teachers leave and go to other places, then you see why sometimes you have uh, teachers that are not uh, the kind of quality teachers that, that you want. We're fortunate that even though our numbers, our statistics, do not show us as being in the top ten, we have got some really high-quality teachers in Mississippi. Uh, I I have been through classrooms all across the state, and I've absolutely been impressed with the kind of teachers that we have, the commitment that they have, the love for for what they're doing. Uh, I used to always say that a person who taught was called to do that. Absolutely. Kind of like a minister is called, kind of like a... Others are called to do certain things because you certainly don't get wealthy doing it. 
you spend a lot of time outside of class working, uh, but yet the rewards that you see in children's eyes are are so it's such a great reward for you personally uh, on what you've been able to do in changing that person's life. And Governor, I, I want to step in here and say I have a, a daughter who's a freshman at uh, the University of Mississippi who is in the METP program, which is uh, a program that is uh, funded by the Heron Foundation uh, to keep and attract uh, good students to teach in Mississippi. So she's committed to teaching in elementary school in Mississippi for five years after she graduates. There's a similar program at Mississippi State. So I, mean, I know the universities are doing something to try to get really, uh, you know, people who are called, and she was called. That's all she's ever wanted to do mm-hmm. was be a teacher. Uh, but it's important that we, we, we protect that funding stream in the classroom. As a parent, I'm really interested. The other thing is we had Steve Faris on last week who talked about our, uh, you know, the rate of imprisonment in our state. And I do think the lack of funding in education is directly correlated to the number of people who end up in prison. Uh, first of all, let me say congratulations to your daughter. I always knew you were a great person. She obviously has listened to you a lot uh, over the years. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure you can do anything that's of more value or importance in life than to be a teacher. Uh, so I congratulate her. Uh, secondly, you're exactly right about the uh, uh, school-to-prison population. If we're not educating our young people and giving them opportunity, it's a cycle. If we don't give good educational opportunity, then if they're not good job opportunities once you get through with school, then the options for students diminish greatly and they make bad decisions. Mm. And the bad decisions that look good at the moment, whether it be drugs, whether it be crime, whether it be whatever, ends up putting them in prison. And, and our prison numbers are the worst in the United States, which means that we've got the worst numbers for prison in the world. And, and you're exactly right. If we do a better job in our schools and create a better opportunity work-wise in our communities, then we decrease the number of young people in, in our uh, uh, prison system. Uh, the other thing that I might say, uh, Richard, is that if we continue or do not continue to invest in education, then it does not bode well for our economic future and the opportunities that people have. There was an article in the paper by Jeff Pender this past Friday that said that Mississippi, for the first time, I think, in a long time, was actually losing population on a year-to-year basis. And Darren Webb, our state economist, said that they're probably leaving to go where the jobs are. Now, that that is a terrible thing to have to say or admit for us as a state because all of us as parents, Richard, who have a little gray hair and have children that are in college or are young, we want them to have the opportunity to stay here. If they are forced to go someplace else just to be able to have a job, that's not good. Now, right. if there are multiple opportunities and offers and they go somewhere else, well, then we pat them on the back and we say congratulations, and that's great. But you don't want to have to see them go because there's no opportunity in Mississippi. That is the wrong direction that for us in Mississippi, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with schools. The last thing, Richard, I would say about that is I remember a first-grade classroom teacher that I had that had faith in me, had confidence in me, 
Uh, we didn't have kindergarten back then. We started in the first grade. And even though I, I wasn't from a family that had a lot of uh, political influence or, or stroke in the school, uh, I got sick and missed a lot of school. And she came to my hospital room every Thursday and spent from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock covering everything that I missed with my mother uh, and me. And, and I think about the difference that she made in my life and how much she cared for me and went out of the way. She didn't get paid extra for doing that. Uh, it wasn't anything that she got rewarded for other than to see me have an opportunity. And that's the kind of difference that our schools can make personally and economically. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation about education law in Mississippi. If you're listening this morning, you have any questions about school funding laws, charter schools, teacher pay, you can call us at 877-MPB-RING. We have former Governor Ronnie Musgrove on with us today and Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We do have some lines open. 877-672-7464 is the number or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is former Governor Ronnie Musgrove, also founding partner of the Musgrove Smith Law Firm in Jackson. And today we're talking about various issues within the education law, the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, also known as MAEP. We're also talking about school funding, and we'll get into charter schools and discipline in schools in, in a moment. And you can join the conversation. We do have a few lines open if you have questions about school funding, uh, charter schools. Are you a proponent? or an opponent of charter schools, 877-MPB-RING is the number. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll go to the phones. Ms. Dawson is in Jackson with a comment. Good morning, Ms. Dawson. What do you have for us today? Yes, um, I listened to um, the comments that were made by Governor Musgrove, former Mus governor, and in addition to that, everything that he said, I want to state or have him make a comment um, regarding discipline in the classroom. It is not so much the reason why teachers are leaving, it's not because of the salaries, you know, all the time. It's the discipline, because we sign up for our salaries. We know what that's going to be, but we do not sign up for the verbal and physical abuse that we are subjected to on a daily basis with little or no administrative support. So if he can comment on that for me, I'd appreciate it, and I'm going to hang up. Okay, thank you, Ms. Dawson. Mm -hmm. And uh, Governor Musgrove, I have lots of friends who are teachers and principals, and they talk a lot about this, about some of the children in the class just kind of being uninhibited and a little more aggressive uh, than, than we used to be when I was in school. But where does the accountability uh, come into play? Is it the principal's job to make sure that students uh, behave well in class, or is that the, t the teacher's job? 
Uh, Sharita, you're being kind the way you described the the way students are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's just a part of our society where you have students that are a whole lot more aggressive outward because of the information and the way that uh, they communicate today, but they sure do. If there's one thing that I hear teachers constantly say is a concern to them is the stress and all that the classroom and the discipline or, or the lack of discipline sometimes uh, causes in the class. Uh, your hand, you're limited to certain things that you can do in terms of discipline, uh, but most of the time when you have a very strong principal who who helps the teachers collectively as a body to adhere to a strong set of guidelines for conduct in a school, then generally speaking, you have a much better uh, atmosphere and a much more conducive environment to learn in a classroom rather than the disruption and the lack of discipline that I think our caller, Ms. Dawson, was just referring to. But she is right in the sense that most teachers feel that that is the biggest concern and and probably things that cause them to be set awake at night Mm. thinking about uh, the stress in the classroom. I was a substitute teacher for about six months, and that let me know that I did not want to be a teacher because it was particularly hard for me not having a relationship with the students and coming in and trying to to get their respect. It was extremely challenging. Another thing I found challenging was the teacher-to-student ratio. Now, I don't know if this gets into to law or, or what, but um, are there resources for that, for making sure that a teacher isn't overwhelmed with, I mean, at some point I had maybe 30 students in a class, fourth graders, and I had no assistant. The, the law sets out that there's a 1 to 27 ratio at a minimum. Certainly, the younger or, or lower the grade, the, the smaller that that ratio should be. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense to have that happen. And that's why we always had teacher assistants in the classroom for the K through 3 uh, classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if the MAEP is not funded, then that's one of the first things that goes is the student-to-teacher ratio. More students are put in a classroom, fewer teachers are hired, and then the challenge becomes greater. And so instead of having schools that excel and are great schools, then we're having to struggle with dealing with overcrowded schools, uh, more on a teacher that you can do, and students actually learning less. And that's not the picture you want, and that's not the school we want uh, in Mississippi for our children to go to and to graduate from. Mm-hmm. Um, now, could you talk about what all the MAEP provides funding for? Uh, are teacher salaries included in that? Uh, what other expenses are covered? Really, everything that you talk about that you need, that you need in a school in fact, we came up with two different ways to, to look at funding. One, we took 25 of the best-performing schools w- w- in Mississippi, and, and we divided it down to say how much are they spending per student. Then we created what would be a from-the-ground-up school with a 1,000 students and said, what do you need to offer all of these students, and how much would it cost? Then we averaged those two, and we came up with – what was uh, a recommended funding formula uh, cost per student. And so so really in a school, that funding formula makes up everything from textbooks, 
workbooks, extracurricular material, uh, classroom needs, teachers in the classroom, teachers' assistants, the administrators, everything involved in a school, the funding formula provides the funds for. And that's why it's so important because if it's not funded, then right off the bat, the school doesn't have the money that it needs Mm. to provide the education that we all expect and we want. This is in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. We're joined uh, today by former Governor Ronnie Musgrove and uh, Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking about education law and uh, some issues that come along with that, the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. If you're listening this morning, you have any questions about education law, uh, school funding, charter schools. Uh, Do you believe charter schools are good or bad? Do you believe the state should take over a school if it is failing? Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, so in, in uh, along the vein of talking about discipline in schools, I'm under the impression that it is, it is challenging for teachers to uh, maybe facilitate their classes like they usually would with social media being present and children having phones and waiting for an opportunity for the teacher to, to say or do something questionable at all and then they're going to put it on on social media so do do teachers have any support in 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 that sense um or are they just kind of losing that social media phone battle i I think in one sense all of us parents lose the the social media phone battle true uh in regards to our children knowing a lot more than we do Uh, however every school has certain policies and guidelines in their handbooks that that help each classroom to determine to what level they will admit, uh, allow social media, uh, phone usage, etc. In in classes, uh, when I taught, I I didn't like to uh, have uh, uh, social media. Today, when I teach, though, especially college and graduate students, I, I like the fact that they can have laptops, etc., and look to and find uh, information, et cetera, mm-hmm. along with the class. But, but yes, each school makes that determination, and that's why I say you have to have a strong principal, a strong classroom teacher to, to adhere to the rules that the school set out. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we have a couple calls to get to after this break, and we have some lines open if you want to join the conversation. We'll switch a little bit and talk about charter schools after we return from the break. But if you have any questions or comments about education law this morning, give us a call. If you have questions about school funding, 877-MPB-RING is the number. Uh, do you believe charter schools are a good or bad thing for education? Do you think the state should take over a failing school district? 877-MPB-RING is the number. That's 877 877- 672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
and welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our special guest today is former Governor Ronnie Musgrove, also founding partner of the Musgrove Smith Law Firm in Jackson, Mississippi. And today we're talking about various issues in education law. Uh, We've talked a little bit about MAEP. If you have any questions about school funding across the state, you can give us a call and we'll talk about charter schools in just a moment. If you have any questions about discipline in schools, you can call us at 877-672-7464. Where do you stand on charter schools? Are you a supporter? 877-MPB-RING is the number. We do have a few lines open. We'd love to to speak with you today. 877-672-7464 is the number. All right, we're going to go to the phones. Michael is in Memphis with a question about discipline. Good morning to you, Michael. What do you have for us today? Good. Uh, good morning. This is Michael. Like you said, the, uh, my concern is uh, discipline starts from home. Discipline does not begin or initiate at school. Uh, poor teachers, principal, assistant principals, they can do so much. Uh, if we do not direct the families, the parents at home, then teacher cannot do anything about it. No matter what regulations. Uh, we can establish in the school environment. Discipline, uh, behaving, misbehaving, all is initiated in home, in families. And therefore, we should create some kind of platform for whoever is coming to any school to have their parents obligated to come to school on a monthly basis and have a meeting with the teachers. Uh, the principal can call on all families to come to school once a month or on quarterly basis to discuss this with the parents because parents play a big role of uh, initiating that discipline and teaching method of how to treat others and how to behave themselves in public environment, in class environment, in school environment. And this is extremely important. Michael, you make some very strong points uh, of which I think most everyone would agree uh, with you. A couple of things I would say. uh, The way our school systems are set up is that we don't take exclusive students. We take all students. So we take students from homes that are well-disciplined, who have a, a good track record at home, and who know how to act in public, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where you've got parents uh, that either don't work or you've got parents that work two or three jobs, do not spend much time at home with the children, and do not teach them some of the things that, that most of us think are very important. Teachers, principals, and administrators find themselves having to deal with those issues. It's not a matter of choice of whether they want to or not. You, you have to. So what I, I've recommended is that we need to have fully funded pre-K schools, early childhood schools in Mississippi. If a child can come at age three or four before kindergarten, a lot of those things that they're currently not getting at home, they can get. Plus, they uh, are so much further ahead once they get to kindergarten. But for instance, you know as well as I do, if you go to kindergarten class the first day, you have some students who know their colors, who know the alphabet, who know everything else, and then you have a lot of students who who can't do any of that. 
So, so you're right. They come at a lot different level, and the early childhood program, I think, helps with discipline, helps with information, helps with academic achievement because the data is just overwhelming at how much our children learn at a very, very young age. Now, and what? It, go ahead, Professor Grisham. I'm sorry. I just was saying. I think Michael's point is really well taken. And one thing that that parents out there listening can realize is that we are. Uh, an available resource to the schools. I know my wife, I bragged about my daughter, so now I bragged about my wife, uh, spent some time when, when our daughter was at uh, the, the middle, uh, the uh, uh, well, not the middle school, but Della Davidson is the school in, in Oxford, uh, helping kids with math during uh, lunchtime because uh, these were kids that, you know, were, were bored because they weren't learning uh, advanced math, and she was helping with that as a volunteer, and that makes a difference. Parents can, can really be involved, and, and so I just wanted to, also brag about my wife a little bit. <laughs> Richard, thank you. And, and to Michael's point, let me add one other thing. Most all schools have a parents' night, PTO, where they come and talk to their children's teachers. But but it is hard to get parents there. I mean, mm. if you've got a, a parent who works the second shift or you have working a night job, it's very difficult. And then if you have parents who work in the daytime, it's hard to get them there. It's not that Michael's idea is bad. It's very good. The more often we can connect parents to schools, the better. And it's just hard when you have an entire population that's across the board that works and does a lot of different things. Okay. All right. Uh, Rodney, thank you so much for your call, Michael. We're going to go next to Rodney, who's in Hattiesburg with a question, a comment, rather. Good morning, Rodney. What do you have for us today? I just want to make a couple of comments on the school issues of the funding and, and the discipline problem. And being a discipline problem first, um, in most cases, when uh, I have two daughters uh, that's here in Hattiesburg in high school, and I've had problems uh, uh, over time with them with the social phone issue. Uh, I, in my opinion, I think phones should be should be banned from even brought to school. I know that's not going to happen. Uh, I think they only should be be allowed for uh, college students. I mean, phone, uh, social media and phones are a distraction. Number two, funding. I don't understand why this state and these lawmakers don't uh, uh, try and pass a lottery law, uh, a lottery uh, thing, to get uh, a state-regulated lottery in here that can help fund the school. This is crazy. Forty-four states can't be wrong. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, and the Louisiana lottery puts millions and millions of dollars into the school system and to the state. So I, I just don't understand how, how these politicians here are sit back. Now they're having a funding problem and education is short on money, but they won't pass the laws or things for revenue to help it. So, so this is, this, this, this is crazy. But, um, uh, I think Mississippi schools are doing they're trying to do the best, uh, and like the other caller said, uh, uh, parents need it need to be uh, uh, mandatory for parents who have children in school to participate and come to the schools to the parent meetings at least once every two months. I, I got the school my daughters go to. Some of the parents don't come the whole school year. They got about 800, almost 1,000 students, and when they have a, a parent-teachers association meeting, you might have 50 parents there. This is crazy. They're not going to get rid of this problem. They're not going to get rid of the discipline because it's a social problem, and it leads all the way back to the home. And some parents 
Sunday school children to school to be taught, but also it serves as a nursery to watch them, and they don't care. It should be mandatory, or these children should be either put out of school, or the law should state that if either you come to school, if your, your kids are at this school, or we're going to order you to court and see why you can't come and see what's going on with your kids. Yeah, good good points, Rodney. Thank you, thank you so much. I, I appreciate those uh, those points. Um, so, uh, Rodney mentioned a uh, state lottery. I think uh, this has been uh, brought up recently. Uh, it's been something that has been suggested often. Um, but what are your thoughts on just kind of needing more funding in general for schools in Mississippi? The answer is yes. We absolutely need more funding. Uh, and and I'm not here to tell the legislators how to to uh, or where to get the funding. I've got my own ideas. Uh, but I, I believe it is too important, the investment that we make in education, which means the investment in our future, to fail to do that. And, and I believe that's where the debate needs to be, and it has been in times past, and I wish we would refocus that debate as to what that investment means for our state and also the lack of that investment, what that also means. And we're starting to see some of the things when each year – we don't meet our funding projections. We don't meet our revenue projections when our unemployment is too high. When those things are not going well, a lot of it has to do with our underlying investments. And so I would argue that our investments need to be better. Now, as it relates to some of the other things, Rodney covered a wide uh, uh, spectrum. Uh, I think he finally threw in the towel, though, and admitted that we're not going to keep the phones out of the children's hands. Oh, no, that's unrealistic. <laughs> I, I, I remember when my daughter was 11 years old and the and the imagination she used to convince me that she needed the phone. You know, it was some of the best work she'd ever done in her <laughs> life. Uh, so so we, we all know that those things are there. But then the question is, how do we deal with it? Mm-hmm. And how do we put it in perspective and help a teacher help a principal, and help the volunteers provide the best education possible. And and Rodney is right. The more participation we have from our parents and and grandparents or caregivers, those who are in charge of taking care of the children, then the better discipline situation we're going to have, the better the environment and classroom will be. Rodney, the last thing I might say is this, in defense of our teachers, uh, so we'll probably have a few parents to get upset at me. Uh, you know, most of the time when something happens with a child at school, you can either take your child's position all the time or recognize that the teacher, when he or she is telling you, I've got a problem, may be telling you correctly. Mm-hmm. And so many times as parents, we want to take up for our children all the time when our children will pull our legs every now and then. Yes. You know. Very and, good and, at that. And, and so if we support the school more and give the school the benefit of the doubt, then sometimes we can help and assist the school in, in correcting our, our children and know that they can't get away with things that they shouldn't get away with. And I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I'm, I'm telling you, in my short little stint as a substitute teacher, I, I had to confront some parents. One parent tried to fight me, literally, because she believed what her child said over me, the adult. And I saw that so often, and it was very, very shocking. But, you know, it comes down to a parent trusting their child or versus a stranger. And children can be very convincing. So that is challenging. And hopefully we find some balance. But now that's one ro- point that Rodney is making that, that is valid. If, if you as a parent come to visit your school, 
visit your child's teacher on multiple occasions, you get to know that teacher. Mm -hmm. Then you get to have confidence in the teacher. You trust the teacher, and then you give credence to what the teacher's saying. So there's a lot of relationship that's built just simply by coming and being a part of your child at school. That helps everyone. Absolutely. Uh, Professor Gershon, did you have any follow-up comments? No, I just appreciate uh, the governor's comments and his his commitment to education in the state. Um, it's such it is such an important issue that uh, it, it affects our traction a bit. You know, we, we are, he mentioned the economy is down, and and some of that is it's hard to attract businesses if the if the people moving here don't think their children are going to be in a good school system. All right, we need to take our final break. When we get back, we'll continue and wrap up the conversation about education law. We've talked about a lot today, school funding. If you have any questions or comments about school funding in Mississippi, uh, teachers pay. Do you think teachers need raises in Mississippi? We'll talk about charter schools when we get back. 877-MPB-RING is the number. Are you a fan or not a fan of charter schools? Do you think it is okay for the state to take over a failing school district? Call us. We have all our lines open right now. 877-MPB-RING is the number. 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined in studio today by former Governor Ronnie Musgrove, also founding partner of the Musgrove Smith Law Firm in Jackson. And uh, Professor Richard Gershon is on the line as well. Uh, he's broadcasting live from the law school at Ole Miss. We have some more calls to get to. David is in Natchez, uh, on the Natchez Trace, rather, with a, a question about charter school. Good morning to you, David. What do you have for us today? Well, good morning. I want to first say hello to my good friend, Governor Ronnie Musgrove, and to Dean Gershwin. I'm interested in knowing the number of students who are presently attending the charter schools in Mississippi, and if your guest knows where those schools are located, what town they're in. David, good question. I'm not sure that the actual number of students, I'm saying that the State Department of Education would have that number. We have a charter school board. There have been two that have been approved here in Jackson, and I think there are a couple that are in the process of being approved. The actual numbers at those schools uh, would be low in comparison to all of the rest of the students that we have in the state. Uh, my my anticipation would be we've got several hundred students that are currently in charter schools. Now, if someone with the State Department of Education knows the number at 53 or 187, then that's great. I wouldn't disagree with that, but I'm just taking a general uh, approach to it and that they would be here in the greater Jackson area. All right, David. I understand. Thank you, Governor. Okay. Okay. Thank you for your call, David. We appreciate it. Uh, Lisa is on the Gulf Coast with a question. Good morning to you, Lisa. What do you have for us today? I'm calling um, because my son goes to a county school, and I'm very blessed that my son is very smart, but he's in eighth grade, and he's never brought home a textbook. Hmm. 
Interesting. And I was told that the school can't afford textbooks for the children to bring them home, so they only bring home photocopies of pages out of textbooks. Wow. Sharita asked me earlier uh, about what does the MAEP funding provide for. Textbooks is one of those things. And we have so many of our schools that we used to have that the textbooks were 10 or 15 years old. And when you think about in today's world of technology how fast information is moving, that's almost uh, starting out in a poor educational environment if you've got a 15-year-old textbook. Mm-hmm. So, so the funding is so critical to make sure we have up-to-date uh, textbooks, up-to-date information so that we're teaching our students in real time about what's going on. History is very important. I'm a student of history, but at the same time, we also need to be relevant as to what's going on now. And this is a problem if that is, in fact, what's happening. All right, Lisa, thank you so much for your call. Um, And I know some students, uh, they have these uh, downloaded books on iPads. I know some some districts here in in Jackson and in surrounding areas, they have their things on iPads, so they're not... They're kind of going just digital and paperless, so that may be something that's happening it, too. And there may be a time where that exactly is what happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. But but if you have a situation where half of our schools have those uh, iPads and are able to do that and the other half can't afford it, then where is your excellence and educational opportunity for everyone? Right. Then there's a real problem. Let me hit the charter school thing for a moment. We haven't had much of a chance to talk about it. Uh, When I was in office, we put in place a limited charter school situation that that must be approved by the school board of of a district. When charter schools first started, the, the whole theory behind them was that if there was a particular area of emphasis that you wanted to have students be involved in, then a charter school made sense. For instance, if you had students who were art Art, artistic that had a lot of artist artistry background and needed more of a focus on art then a charter school with a focus on art made a lot of sense likewise if you have an engineering kind of student that that needed more math needed more science those kinds of things today the charter school movement is looked at as like replacing the regular school district uh so me- it's not a specialty school anymore. Are they competing for funds now? Well, that that's what you're you're seeing now, and that is the policy debate that we're currently having. Uh, I, I think that it's important not to give up on our public schools, and if we're doing everything that we can for our public schools and demanding out of them what they should be doing, and then we and we're providing enough money for them to do that and then we still have areas of concern, then I would certainly be open for more expansion there. But I think it's doing a disservice to our public schools to have us divert money that should be going, divert energy and rules and and focus and emphasis on our public schools just to send it to a charter school where only a few of our students are going to benefit. 
Okay, well, we have about a minute left. Uh, I was going to ask if you could talk uh, very briefly about your, your private practice and the thing your firm offers. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Rita. Well, we do a good number of things. We do a lot of business litigation as it relates to businesses. We do a lot of representation of uh, uh, business development. Uh, we also uh, do a great deal of, of health care uh, work, and we also do a good bit of consumer protection uh, work. There are citizens, uh, a few, and then there are a lot of citizens that buy things, that purchase things, that, that uh, in, under the Lemon Law, the law covers a car. But there are a lot of other things where people purchase things that just go wrong. There, there's a law that we have that would give people the right to, to, to seek back reimbursement uh, and to stop those uh, companies from doing that. So we do a, a wide range of things as it relates to business litigation, business development, and also uh, consumer protection. And what's in the website? To the school, okay. uh, it's uh, just musgrovesmith.com. Uh, okay, sounds good. Governor Musgrove, thank you so, so much for being on today. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Professor Gershon, thank you for being on as well. Uh, thanks to Sam Wells for being our board operator today. Java Chapman was our call screener. Lynn, we are not going to get to your call. If you could please send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you for calling in. That's going to wrap us up here on In Legal Terms. But stay tuned. Southern Remedy with Dr. Susan Buttress is coming up next right here on MPB Think Radio.